Welcome to the CF Stories Podcast, where we take some time each week to get to know different members of Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth. Our community is filled with people from different walks of life, from doctors to teachers to business owners, who all have unique experiences to share. This is who we are, and these are our stories. Welcome, everyone, to the CF Stories Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Johnson, and today... I had the honor of sitting down with Samantha Ariza. Now, Samantha Ariza, some of you who are in Christ Fellowship might know her. She leads us in worship many Sundays, amazing voice, very talented sister. But also, also, she is a mental health clinician and a college professor. And we sat down and discussed mental health. Mental health, sadly, is often overlooked in the life of a disciple in Christ. But Samantha will explain to us what it means to be mentally healthy, what mental health is all about, how we can become and keep being mentally healthy. So we are going mental with Samantha Ariza, and this is her story. All right, everyone. Today, we have a very special episode here of podcast, and I'm sitting here with someone who I've known for many years now, a good friend of mine right here, and my soul sister, true, true soul sister right here. We have Samantha Ariza right here. Hey, Sammy, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. So we all know, well, I know, but other people might not. We all know that you are a very talented singer. Very gifted in the arts. Why, thank you. Very gifted in the arts. You, you lead us into worship. You've been doing that for many, many years. But, 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 you have a very, very important day job. A very important day job, which is your main bread and butter. And if you could just tell the folks about what your nine to five is. So I work at a outpatient mental health clinic in Newark, New Jersey, as of right now. Uh, my official title is clinician, which makes it sound very fancy. Um, but basically, uh, what I do is I do counseling and therapy, uh, in outpatient setting. Now, what is just for those who may not know, um, some of the more technical terms, when you say outpatient setting, what does that specifically mean? So when we talk about health care or talk about mental health care, uh, there's different levels. So outpatient therapy is like the lowest level technically. So it means that you need some assistance with something that's going on it is like the lowest level of care. So you don't need as much intervention as let's say if you're having like a crisis. Sometimes that would need maybe like a hospital stay or inpatient is what we call it. Mm. Or if it's something that is uh, like maybe you have a substance uh, abuse or substance use disorder. Uh, It's called IOP. So it's intensive outpatient. Ah, Uh, So there's more hours involved versus outpatient, which may be like an hour, two hours a week um, on a consistent schedule. Now, this is your like bread and butter nine to five like job like this every day. So this is in the mental health field. Yep. Uh, It is. You know, this is my second career as of right now, but this is what I am going to carry out. Um, I'm currently working on getting my like standard counseling practicing license, which is right now I am called a licensed associate counselor. So it's kind of, you can do therapy, you can do counseling, 
but it's under the direct supervision of somebody who has been doing it for a while. Uh, so as of right now, I am trying to finish up my hours to get my licensed professional counselor, which means I can then do my own private practice and work on my own kind of doing whatever I see fit because they deem me um, capable of taking care of other people's health needs at that point. So what what is this, when we use this term mental health, mm-hmm. right? That seems like a, a very broad category. Just like if you said any any type of health, you said like physical health, right? That the human body is very complex. Mm-hmm. But so obviously you're talking about the human mind mm-hmm. and all that entails. And, you know, having a career where you are directly assisting people in that matter. What is mental health? So when we talk about mental health, yeah, uh, it definitely involves the mind a lot. You know, we talk about emotions. We talk about how people react in certain situations. So it's a very social, situational kind of thing as well. Um, But it is very much about your thoughts, your thinking, how they affect what you do, what you say, and all of that. And, you know, attitude, perspective, all of that kind of goes under the heading of mental health. So with physical health, like you said, you know, you can see it, you can deal with it. It's, it's very out there, but mental health is not really able to be seen. Mm. Um, so we don't know sometimes how that is being processed. So it's about kind of finding out what this process is in order to bring about, uh, I guess, functioning, you know, okay. to be able to help somebody be able to live a happy and functional life however they see kind of fit at that point. Now, is that determined by the person's goals, like their own individual goals? Or is that, um, is there like a criteria that you as a professional, as a mental health professional, you are like, you know, assessing a person and saying like, okay, like I see maybe you got this, but you don't have that. Is there, is that how it works? Or is this more individual? Obviously it's individualized, but Mm -hmm. who determines the, the health part, I guess is my well, for the most part, it has to be the client. You know, okay. uh, my my job, I always tell them my job is not to tell you what to do. Uh, my job is to here to help you in whatever way, shape or form you need me to help you. Um, because I can sit there and say that this doesn't work. But if it's working for you, how, who am I to say, you know, you are functioning because of this. You know, we talk about like coping mechanisms and coping skills. Um, Sure, uh, uh, drinking every day is not uh, is not helpful. You know, you can't work, you can't function, but it's helping you deal at this moment. You know, so even though I we we kind of you know I can see that's not good, but that's not something you're ready to deal with. I can't force it and say, hey, we need to deal with your drinking right now. Mm. Um, at that point, it's like maybe they're like, well, I don't want to stop drinking. I want to just maybe cut back. Okay. And so I'll be like, okay, so how can we do that? That's interesting because drinking is obviously a big coping mechanism for millions and millions of people out in our society. Mm -hmm. And do you think that, um, you know, with something like that, how you said, uh, you know, someone might not be ready to give that up as a coping mechanism or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. I mean, is it you, you can't say directly to them to give it up or you can kind of make a program for them? Is that, is that the way it goes? I mean, it, it, so we talk about the problem. We all sit there kind of when we talk about what's going on, what do they see as them needing help? And a lot of times they can see something and I maybe won't be able to see it, but it, you know, it's their lives. Um, 
I'm there to help them live their lives. So whatever they're kind of saying, hey, maybe the issue, let's let's deal with that, you know? And as we start maybe unwinding that, they may come, wow, drinking is a major part of why this is a problem. I see, yeah. Because at the end of the day, I can sit there like, you know, I mean, parents can understand. I can tell you a million times not to do that. Mm-hmm. Like I, I would tell my daughter, uh, please don't sit like that on that chair. It's going to fall. Mm-hmm. I can tell her that, that till I'm blue in the face. Right, right. But it isn't until she falls mm-hmm. herself that she usually realizes. So a lot of times when it comes to counseling, I can see a problem or maybe I see something that they don't see, but it, I can't literally tell them sometimes. We have to kind of get to that where they go, oh, wow, this is what it is. And usually that's more powerful than if I told them. Like that self-realization. Yeah. Hearing them say it Mm. sometimes is the most powerful part of therapy is, wow, that really is a problem. Maybe I should stop. And then I'm like, okay, so what can we do? So the goal of therapy is to bring that person to that moment largely, or at least, you know, kind of lead them as as much as they're willing to be led Mm -hmm. into that self-discovery well, moment. yeah, it's definitely a, a, a self-discovery type thing, you know, knowing yourself and knowing what's going on and, you know, bringing about change and being able to actively realize that you can do that change is, is powerful. And my job is to sit there and assist, you know, and uh, sometimes they say give space to the client. I am there I to see. hold that space for you. The world may be crumbling around you, but I'm going to be here to give you space to think to breathe, to understand what's going on and then get to that good place. Mm. And that was that the same for no matter what type of uh, therapy or counseling? Would you say it's the same for like a substance abuse and also maybe marriage or things like that? Is it still that self-discovery? Obviously, with marriage, you have more than one person mm-hmm. in the process. But is, that, is it that's the same goal or trajectory? For the most part, I would say yes. Because, you know, even in marriage, you know, I, if I don't know why I'm acting a certain way, I can't explain it to you. And then that's, that's not helpful to you because you don't know why I'm acting this way. You know, if I don't know, I can't tell you and we can't come to a compromise and be able to work it out together. So, you know, I remember in school when we were learning about counseling and, and going through this program, a lot of it was my own journey of understanding myself and understanding me. and by by learning about how to help other people, I was learning how to help myself as well, because there's something in, um, we call like transference or counter transference that sometimes you can, as the therapist, maybe project some of your problems onto your client without Mm. thinking about it. Makes sense. Or they can project something onto you. And so you have to be very aware yourself of what's going on. So when you were going through your process of pursuing this degree, like you just mentioned, like it was very eye-opening for you. Like, is that something that um, in that process for yourself personally, you were like, oh, wow. Like, I, I just learned a lot about why I do what I do or why, I, you know, my own perceptions of things. Yeah. I mean, you can, you, you know, you want to accept your clients for the good, the bad and the ugly. And to be able to do that, sometimes you have to look at yourself and accept yourself for the good, the bad and the ugly, too. Um, you know, because at the end of the day, you're human. And if you can't experience your own humanity how can you help somebody in theirs that's a good point that's, i think that's a good way to say it like you said your own humanity and your own i mean what what, what word i guess there's there's buzzwords that i think of like you know baggage or i guess upbringing or mm-hmm. things like i mean historically speaking right like in psychology and mental health there's obviously 
all these different schools of thought, right? Is there one that you particularly think is, um, has like the, you've seen the most as, as a therapist, as a counselor, like you've kind of seen the most affect people's lives or is it just a big mix and uh, it's hard to say? See, I mean, you know, we can get very theoretical and we could talk about different things, but at the end of the day, you know, what, what tool is going to get to the client and help them get to where they need to be? I've seen so many different things and, you know, you have to kind of approach problems differently with whoever you're dealing with. Um, I always like to think about like, uh, we call it cognitive behavioral therapy, which is a big one that we sometimes talk about because it's very simple to, to talk about and express. Um, and it's evidence-based. So people, you know, they like that. Um, is that like the lead, like, as far as I know, and you know, I'm, I'm not a, a psychologist. I'm, I'm not, you know, I, I took a one-on-one psychology course for my own, you know, history degree and all that. But I just know historically speaking that like there's been times of like, uh, I guess you could say dominance of mm -hmm. like whatever, like this, you know, a theoretical approach or, or, or even not theoretical, but an actual, um, something that's been implemented mm -hmm. kind of becomes like the standard. And then there's, I guess, debate and, you know, discovery and the whole process is that is the one you just mentioned. Is that like the, is that kind of where it's at now? I feel like, I feel like that's just like the overarching one that always gets picked up and brought up I see. a lot. Um, because like I said, it's very simple to understand, simple to talk about. When we talk about CBT, we talk about your thinking patterns and how those affect how you feel, how you act and kind of isolating the thinking in order to ch bring about change in behaviors and, and, and actions and feelings. So usually that's kind of the one I know, like I bring up a lot because clients understand it. Um, sometimes it's very hard to bring into practice, but I, I also like it because it's biblical. <laughs> mm. How so? Where how, do you see the connection with Because when we talk scriptures? about, you know, and it talks about taking, you know, control of your mind, capturing your thoughts, taking hold of it. Um, and, you know, thinking of all that's good, that's pure and all of that stuff. So it ha I feel like well, that's biblically based. And so when I explain it to clients, I feel like it's, it's something that I can take hold of and something that I believe not only not only believe clinically, but, you know, spiritually as well. And I do think that there is power in it. And so um, that's why I sometimes feel comfortable talking about that most, because when we're talking about mental health, we are talking about your mind. And what does your mind do a lot of is thinking. Of course. So I feel like isolating that is the best, sometimes the best way to kind of approach things and try to, to, to get around when it comes to a lot of different health issues, mental health issues. I'll say amen. <laughs> I'll say amen to that. People tend to have a, almost like a, uh, um, the word I'm looking for, hesitation, a hesitation when it comes to seeking therapy. Um, why do you think that is in a, in a broad sense? Why do you think there's a hesitation of seeking professional therapy? Not just, I mean, talking to your friend is fine. You know, talking to your barber, I mean, that's cool. But when talking, talking about like actual professional therapy, you know, some, there's some people who are gung-ho and there's some people who are very hesitant. Why do you think that is in a broad sense? Well, nobody wants to be seen as crazy. Let's be serious. Mm -hmm. Mental health and, and going to talk to a therapist, you must be crazy if you're doing that. That is the perception, unfortunately. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know how many times I've had a client who's been like, I don't know if I can talk to you about this because 
you're going to think I'm crazy or you're going to try to have me committed or, and I'm like, that's not my job. Like I'm not here to like go tattletale on you. And I literally tell them that like, uh, we talk about confidentiality in session and how my job isn't to go talk to the other therapists about what's going on. I'm not supposed to talk about what happens in this room. And um, if for some reason you're hurting yourself, you're hurting someone else or someone is hurting you, then technically I have to say something. But I always reassure them that's not my job. And if anything, I'm going to talk to you about it. Right. But if there's something like criminal happening or well, abusive, that's what I'm saying. something like, like that. But, that. but that's a conversation like, listen, you need to go to the police about this. Right, right. Because I am not going to step out of my lane to, mm -hmm. to overstep, but I want you to be safe. And well, you're, you're bound by laws uh, yeah, to but, do all that too. Yes. But I mean, that's not something I'm going to go behind their back and do mm -hmm. because that breaks my trust with them. Mm -hmm. So literally, I will be like, hey. My my clinical my, my therapist head is going wheel wheel wheel. You know right. we're having this is a major red flag. Um, I don't like that. I hear this. I feel like maybe this might have to, I might have to do these steps. Um, I'd rather you take the steps to to do it yourself though. I see. I see. Um, yeah. Because it's 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 more power for them too. Yeah, well, of course, of course. They're so used to somebody else stepping in and doing mm -hmm. stuff for them or being at the control of other outs for, uh, you know, uncontrollable things that I don't want to be one of those uncontrollable things. And absolutely. And obviously you have the person's best interest in mind, right? Mm -hmm. You're trying to, you know, and, and you're, you're a former educator, you know, obviously there's certain boundaries, you know, with, with students, children about, you know, hurting themselves, being hurt at home, abusive things like that, um, that we have to, well, in that, in that context, as adults, is one thing. And then obviously, as, you know, educational and professionals. But then in the therapy part, too, I, I see that, you know, that's still a, a part of it mm -hmm. as well, which is great. Um, what do you think is, uh, when, when it comes to, to, you said about, like, I don't want to be received as crazy, mm -hmm. right? That's a very broad word that a lot of people use and a lot of you know, we say that's crazy as in, you know, the plot of a movie. Mm -hmm. Or we say that's crazy as in, a human being that's exhibiting some type of behavior that we think is, well, I guess crazy. Mm -hmm. why, why do you think that's the, is that a catch-all word? I, I think in a it, sense? I think it definitely is because at the end of the day, crazy is not normal and nobody doesn't want to seem abnormal. I see. And, um, you know, that they're coming in because something is not normal, you know? Or you, you wouldn't be here. Or you wouldn't be here. I see. But they don't want people to know that. And it's, you know, they they want to get to a, you know, it's it's coming in the way of them being perceived as that. Oh, okay. Right. Um, right. So when they come to me, that's what we're trying to, you know, get them okay with what's going on half the time and then being able to get them to a place where they can 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 deal. And maybe if they can change it, whatever, you know, we cope, we figure it out, we make the appropriate steps and we get to a place where we're okay at the end of the day what drew you to this career because you said it's your second career so what drew you specifically to this and you wake up every day to do this what is motivating you so i was a teacher for like four or five years um i taught middle school english you know everybody's favorite subject in everybody's favorite um no 
Definitely not. Um, uh, but, it was for me because I'm not a math guy. So I'm not either. So I, I liked uh, English class was good. But everybody, <laughs> I find like lately everybody likes math a little bit more because it makes sense. But, you know, I'm not going into the education system <laughs> right now. But um, when I was a teacher, I liked teaching English because that's when kids could express themselves. Mm. And I was very into like creative writing and I, you know, they don't do much of that, but I liked creative writing. I liked journaling. I wanted to give the kids space where they could express themselves. And, um, I felt like a lot of times the kids wanted to talk to me. And so like prep times, lunch, breakfast, homeroom, the kids just wanted to talk to me about stuff that was going on with them. So I'd sit there and listen, course, and, you know, not get my grading done, but I would, <laughs> I would do what I had to do. I've and been I, there many times, so sister, I, I, many yeah, times. So I would sit there and talk to them and the kids felt like they could come to me and express themselves and it right. was a safe place for them. Now, anybody who, who, you know, you're an educator, a teacher, whatever, or even if you work in uh, corporate America, you know, you have to do certain things to progress in your chosen career. Of course. So, you know, we had to go back to school and mm -hmm. I put it off um, because I'm not the one to kind of pick a path and just go and get it done just to get it done. I want to make sure for me th there's purpose in it um, and that I'm going to enjoy it and that there's something that's going to come of this because if I'm just going to go to school, like, if I'm going to go into debt or whatever for my master's degree, it has to be something, you know? Of course. Well, you got to definitely weigh it all out. You definitely uh, have to. And, you know, and, and it's funny because here I am in a second career. I'm digressing a little bit, but I saw myself being a teacher for my whole life. Mm. Uh, that I, when I went to school, I was like, this is my career. This is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. I'm going to retire as a teacher. Um, but when it came time to go back to school, I'm like, I don't want to be a reading specialist. I don't want to build curriculum. I don't want to go into administration. And that, that is the next steps if you wanted to and, and not be in the classroom anymore. For those, for those listening who don't know what edu the professional side of education is, that's, you know, being a classroom teacher is one thing, but these other roles that you just mentioned, that's, you need to get a certificate, a degree, et cetera. And that's how you would That's the only way to like move up. That yeah, way. yeah. Is right. to do something more, get something else. And I'm absolutely, like, absolutely. I didn't feel like any of those really fit. Um, so I swear it was, I know it sounds very like non, like, you know, non, like inspirational. I swear it was at Target when this idea came into Listen, my people have, <laughs> I'm sure there's been many, uh, inventions that people were at Target. Yo, they looked around Target, and, just, and it just, I, was, boom, I swear just, I was wandering right the there. aisles, you know, spending unnecessary amounts of money. Well, yeah, of course. But the idea of counseling mm -hmm. came into my head and it just felt right. So I kind of thought about it. I sat on it for a second and just kept thinking about it. And it just made sense. I, I enjoy talking to my students. I enjoy giving them a safe place to express themselves. I want them to know that they're heard and that maybe some of these crazy things that go on in their lives have nothing to do with that. Um, and that, you know, maybe something, you know, maybe the situation sucks. And I want to tell them, yeah, it sucks, but let's do something that can bring us joy. And let's flip this situation and find a way to be okay. Right. Like a solution 
oriented of, yeah. or at least to lead you like you said before yeah so i enjoyed that mm. and i would rather sit there and talk to my students than build a curriculum for them right well so, i understand it's un- so understandable I, I i was like okay this makes sense so i i applied to kane mm-hmm. um for actually i was going to be a school counselor okay um but you know whole self discovery schools were just my comfort place and i wanted to do be down in the dirt with mm. my clients mm. So now just real quick, though, you mentioned how like you obviously pursuing a degree program, Kane University, and you mentioned the school counselor. So that would mean there's like different strands of study in in the graduate level. Yes. Right. There's all graduate level, but there's yes. like a school counseling versus uh, uh, substance abuse versus family. I'm, I'm assuming well, these things. OK, Is that the so structure? when when it came to my program, you could be a licensed counselor like I am. You could have done school counseling with licensed counselor, which was what I wanted to do because I wanted to give myself options. Okay. Um, and then you could have just been a school counselor. They do have something um, called like a SAC certification, which is a substance, right. abuse, substance abuse certification, mm-hmm. which also works if you want to work in a school. Okay. Um, Some schools do. Some schools have yeah, they specific have, yeah. SAC personnel. But um, when I thought about it you know like I said I had originally gone to I was going to do the school counseling with the LPC option mm-hmm. um but licensed I licensed professional counseling yes right and um I just decided no because in all honesty I kept this I wanted options but did I really need those options mm. um and schools were my comfort zone interesting I, I had, I, I taught in a school. I knew, I just had, I wasn't good at the the, the system, but I knew the system. <laughs> I knew the politics. I knew how things worked. It was my comfort zone. Mm-hmm. But did I want to, and I'm not saying, you know, school counselors try to, you know, juggle whatever administration gives to them, you know, but did I want to sit there and do administration work mm-hmm. and help as many students as I can? Or did I want to help people and then outside deal- of the school bounds in school, out of school, okay, whatever I see, I see. Um, with administration stuff on the side? You know what I'm mm, saying? Right. Um, and, and that's a good point to bring up, though, not to in- interrupt. But that's a good point is that when people consider counseling and school counseling, um, they have to consider the full range of responsibilities that a school counselor does have. And that's that's a big conversation happening now and mm-hmm. maybe for the past several years about the precise role of a school counselor. I mean, and we're using the the appropriate term of school counselor, not, not guidance, guidance counselor. counselor. That's no, guidance no, no. counselors in the past, no, everyone. No, no, that's no, not no. the that's not the word anymore. Guidance counselor is not you know that that's gone now. It's school counselor. Did you know anything? What or I should say, what did you know specifically about counseling as you were exploring this, or did you or was this like a a, a tsunami of information in this whole new world where it was like whoa. Or did you did you have some inkling well, of certain aspects of what you were getting into? I, I don't think I did. Let me be honest. I don't think I did. <laughs> um, I knew that counselors talk to people. I did not know to what aspect or to what degree I would be dealing with people's lives. So um, when and like I said, when I went into it, I was like school counselor. That was kind of my focus. It wasn't until I was in school actually out of the teacher role that I came to the realization that no I don't want to mm. be a school counselor I see it was kind of like my transition period to like think of oh you know 
this is kind of how I ended up here, but this is not what is going to bring me through. That's interesting because, you know, your your motive is to help. And that's it's funny when um, being a teacher, uh, when you ask students, what you know, what do you want to do when you grow up or what is your career do you want? Some people, even adults, too, who are considering career changes will say, I want to help people. Mm-hmm. Um, that's obviously a really broad answer. But, you know, what you're saying right now is, is I want to, you know, speak to people and lead them into understanding, lead them into a good place, lead them mm-hmm. into their own health in, mm-hmm. in their own life. And like you said, the situation might be awful. Yes. But- <laughs> well, and I mean, maybe if I've said lead them into, maybe that's the wrong phrasing. Okay. Maybe more like walk beside walk them. Walk beside them, right. Because, um, you know, I can't, I, I'm there with them. That makes sense. But especially with what you said earlier about you just, you know, you're, you're, you're not to, to tell someone specifically certain things. You kind of just. Yeah. We got to get there together. Get there together. Right. We got to, I can't be ahead of the, the train there. We got to be on the same, same speed. So did, did the fire stay hot as you were in the degree program or was um, there, there? And of course, there's a lot of moments where someone can have, you know, you want to get out there. Obviously, it's like almost a stereotype of, you know, I'm out to save the world. And then, you know, you get jaded. People have that mindset. But then there is something in you that usually does keep the fire hot. Was that for you well, during the degree been, program? Yeah, I mean, it's always been people. At the end of the day, me knowing what I'm doing for my clients versus what everybody says about how I'm doing it or, or about what I'm doing or, you know, because you deal with you, any job you deal with, uh, criticisms or, you know, of course. or, uh, you know, people just coming in trying to help you. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're like, well, thank you. However, I see it this way. And, you know, uh, it can be tough to, to navigate that, um, especially in, in my degree program. I don't think it was necessarily my degree program. I think it was maybe some of the situations around it, surrounding it, maybe more personal, um, contextual stuff that was going on that made me like be like, Ugh, I just need to get this done so I don't have to stay at this place. <laughs> um, so was, that was more, that's always kind of like my driving force sometimes is like, what it, like, where's the end goal versus what I'm feeling at the moment to get me to that place. So when you got there, mm-hmm. you're in, now you graduated, you got the degree, you got the debt. The debt, <laughs> yes. We have you, that. You have all that. You got it. You got it. You're like, yes, you know, and then you land your first job or, you know, I, I know you moved around in, in certain places. Um, you're going to wake up tomorrow morning. Mm-hmm. We're recording this on a Sunday. You're going to wake up tomorrow morning. You're going to go to work. Mm-hmm. Is the motive still hot to just, you know, help people and walk beside them? And, you know, you're going to do this because there's people who would never do this in a million years. Like they wouldn't actually no. choose to do this. No, I've had conversations with people sometimes about some of this, you know, not disclosing people's details, but, you know, some of the stuff I've had to deal with and people like I can't do that right right I can't do that and you know at the end of the day um I I feel like it is a calling I feel like uh it is part of what God wants me to do here um I remember back in in bridge uh at second press we did we took a like a one of those spiritual gift tests right um and I got encourager and I never understood what that was when mm. I got it. I was like, I guess I like to 
encourage people. Like, hey, you, you can do it, buddy. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, I, and, and, and I said <laughs> right. that in the group, not believing half the stuff I was saying as I was saying it, because I was like, I don't seem, I never saw myself as that. Mm-hmm. Right. But considering where I am now, I, it makes sense. Oh, wow. It makes sense mm. because, you know, when you encourage, um, you're trying to get people to see something that they can't see in the moment. So for my clients, they may not see them being able to operate their lives in a certain way, but I have to cast the vision for them. I have to keep somebody, my supervisor says, she's like, you have to be, give them hope. You have to be that hope for them at times because they don't see it. They're just stuck in their moment. Wow. Wow. That, you know, that, that's, uh, like I have felt that just now because that's, I think that's a really brilliant way of saying it and like giving hope and encouragement. You know, it's, it's more than just, you know, Hey, yeah, like cheer up, you know? Yeah. It's it's not that it's, it's, I can't do that. So (laughs) it's like, it kind of reminds, I'm I'm, again, like a picture, almost like a trust fall in a way where it's like, you're the person like, you know, supporting the person up like as encouragement, as opposed to just like, you know, it's not cheering them on. And that's one version of it, you know, we could say, but it's, you know, there's, there's real substance to it too, which is, which is powerful. Mm-hmm. What do you think church can do to address mental health issues or to provide those safe spaces, um, like how you mentioned before? And if there is anything that is perceived negatively, if there's a negative bias towards any pursuit of, of mental health solutions, what can be said of that? I think it's just part of it is normalizing some of the stuff that people experience like um when we talk about mental health you know we talk about disorders but for things to be disordered it has to get to a degree where it stops functioning in areas of your life but these sometimes these things are things we all experience they just haven't gotten to the place where they've stopped us stopped our functioning you know So I think normalizing that these things happen, you know, that we experience these things, being able to talk about the tough stuff um, and being genuine about it because we all go through it. Um, And, you know, we know the promises that God has for us. We know all the great stuff. We know all that. But, you know, you know, Jesus had people walking with him through all these stuff, too. Sometimes I feel like, you know, we're like, well, God's got this, you know, don't worry about it. But, you know we're in that moment. We need somebody with us to walk with us in it. Um, so being able to kind of let that happen in church, I feel like is, is important, you know, cause we, we can all be like, we all know what the Bible says, whether we, we believe it at the moment or not, but sometimes we need to have that person believe it for us and mm. be like, Hey, I see the situation. I know it's tough. I know that you're struggling. I've struggled too. Let me be here while we, we get through this, you know? So just having that openness, the genuineness, the, the, the ability to talk about it and just be okay with it just happening. Like be a person to give the other person space in church. Mm. Now tell us your part of something that's pretty fresh here in our own church here at Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth. It's a weekly meeting. And can you explain what that's all about? So uh, we we have something. It's we're calling it just the peer support group as of right now. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what I see it as being that place to talk about some of the stuff that we are experiencing 
in, in this world, you know, um, this past week we talked about like loneliness and we've all experienced loneliness at one point or another, you know, you can be married and experience loneliness. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. and especially with, you know, the current situation of coronavirus and all this stuff, people are very isolated and can be very feeling very lonely. Mm -hmm. So kind of, you know, this place is to talk about stuff like that um, and just be able to kind of not only point to the Bible and what maybe the Bible says, but how do we kind of move through this as a group and understand? So sometimes it's like understanding how you operate and maybe how that um, kind of uh, works into your feeling of loneliness. Because I know sometimes like like we ended up talking about extroverted and introverted, you know, and you can be both. But for those who are, who are extroverted, who are more, who feel more energized by being with people, it's going to feel very draining and maybe pretty lonely to be by yourself on, you know, days upon days upon days without contact. But if you know that about yourself, then how do we work that together? How do you get those contacts so you don't feel that loneliness? I see. So we kind of discussed it and talked about different options, mm. especially like we talked about having like a heart for people and how do we deal with those opportunities maybe because, you know, the pandemic inhibits us. So you definitely saw it as a need to start this weekly peer support group. Yeah. I mean, I, we have, you know, some community groups and we have, you know, fellowship groups and stuff like that. And, you know, it's very, you know, Bible focused and people do get to share their lives. But sometimes, you know, you need something that's specifically to focus on a certain topic, mm, mm, you know. Right. Um, and sometimes people just need a place to talk about that. And, you know, it's an ongoing group, so there's no need to come every week about it. Mm -hmm. If you have something that's on your heart or something that you're struggling with, just come in, talk about it. We'll deal with, we'll work through it. and then. You can go on and if you need us again, we're here, you know, I feel Making like that it, space, like you said before. Yeah. It's right. just sometimes that's all somebody needs is to go Absolutely. in, let it out and move on. Mm. And there's plenty of, there's plenty of psychologists, therapists, um, doctors in the mental health realm who are in Christ. There's plenty of them out there that, so it's, you know, there's no, there shouldn't be a disconnect of that, you know, of, of, of being in Christ, being, you know, rooted in the spirit of God, knowing the scriptures and seeking the clinical end of it, the physiological end of it, all these different things. Like there's, sometimes it seems like there's a gap between those things, but mm -hmm. there doesn't need to be, does there? Oh, and no. And I, I, you know, I feel like a lot of what I do is very spiritual. Yes. It is a very spiritual battle. Sometimes, you know, we talk about strongholds in people's lives we talk about you know generational curses being passed down and i can see a lot of this stuff when i am working with clients and mm -hmm. i mean i had i had an issue it wasn't my client but i had an issue with uh i was in the hallway <laughs> i just let one of my clients you know uh leave and another client came up to me and let me have it oh wow but the things that she said she doesn't know me. Okay. But she said some very, very pointed things as she was telling me off mm. that hit a lot of the stuff that I pray about. Oh, wow. Um, 
for myself personally. Like I, I, you know, I struggle with like sometimes feeling like, you know, some, I struggle with my self-worth sometimes, you know, struggle with failure and stuff. And she, she was yelling at me, telling me off as if she knew every single thing, every little, little in, inadequacy I had. Hmm. So as she was going off, I started praying because I knew it was a very pointed attack. It was, she didn't know me. Like I said, she's, she wasn't my client. She had no real reason wow. to do that. But she came at me as if she knew every point of weakness in my, my armor. Mm. And it was, it, it's, it's very spiritual. That's intense. It is. It that is. is in, that, that is intense. It is. It's very, I mean, I went into my office, I cried a little bit, I prayed, <laughs> but, um, you, you poker face, but then no, 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 like, I, <laughs> oh, you didn't and, poker and face. It's, it's, uh, well, no, I poker face. Cause I okay. didn't oh, move. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I didn't move because I felt like if I moved, she was going to punch me in the oh, face. Wow. That was the next no, was, level was of that, thing. Yeah. yeah it, was, um, it was that. But there, there, there's been a couple times like that where I felt like I've been dealing with someone and they were coming at me not as themselves. So it is very spiritual. It is very, you know, I, 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 like I said, I do feel like God has pointed me in this direction for a reason. Right. Of course. But, um, yeah, I, it is very hard, you know, when it comes to us as people, um, you know, we don't live in just a physical world. Right. So a lot of the sin that's in this world has to be dealt with and, you know, it, it, it can't be separated. I mean, there are people I know who go into this field who don't see it as that, you right, know, right. but I, I feel like those who see it know are, are better able to handle it. I guess mm. they mm. have more tools in their toolbox. I see. I can see that. Well, because it's a, it's a multidimensional thing we're talking about here. It's it's you know, you're talking about like a whole person. Right. So we, we talk about, you know, the, these, the ancient prayer of love, loving God with all your heart, all your soul and all your strength. Right. And mm -hmm. then with all your mind. Like that's that's all of you. That's a complete person. And mm -hmm. all of us are all those things together. And they have to work together in unity. Otherwise, like you said, it's like a disorder. There's, I mean, like, I, I, in hearing you say it, I'm like, wow, look at that word. Disorder. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, just oh, look at that. Everybody disorder. wants to say that they're disordered, right? Yeah, disorder. No. So there's lack of order. There's no order or th something is disrupted or, you know, mm -hmm. out of alignment. What, you know, there's all the phrases we can use for it. But that's, I mean, that's an intense story, obviously, but that's very real. Mm -hmm. It's very, very tangible as well. I have three phrases for you. Okay. And you just tell me your reaction to these phrases. These are kind of like cliche phrases, mm -hmm. but they are in the psychology sphere perception thing. So the first one is that perception is reality. I, I think that's true. I, I, I've seen it with clients, um, especially I have a few maybe like uh, schizophrenic clients who it's all about perception for them. And it's hard to distinguish what is going on in their head because that's real for them versus what's happening in the real world. So, yeah, perception is reality. Stressed out. Uh, that one, I, I, I know I say it myself, um, but I feel like it's too, too general. You need, what is stress? Is stre because stre there could be good stress. Well, was it like in, in that regard, the pressure of a moment? Yeah. But I mean, I, I think the only way to deal with stuff sometimes is to pinpoint 
you know? So by saying you're stressed out, okay, what, what's stressing you out? What does that mean? I'm overwhelmed. Okay. But what does that mean? Like, you know, there's, you can't, yeah, you may be stressed out, but that is the feeling that's resulted from certain things. So as much as, you know, people can be stressed out. Yes. But it, they're just by saying that, or, you know, generalizing it that way, how do we come about this problem to fix it? That makes sense. Cause that's the, you know, solution somewhere in there. Well, yeah. Cause I mean, are you procrastinating? Cause I, that's my problem too. So like <laughs> I am the creator of my own stress then, right, you know, right, right. so I'm stressed out, but it's my own fault. Mm-hmm. And I probably would say that too. <laughs> Where there's a will, there's a way. I want to agree. However, there are certain situations that I think that may not happen. Um, uh, Like I say, I work in Newark. So there's a lot of other sometimes circumstances, agencies, systemic things that are being dealt with. Um, So as much as my clients keep trying to plow on, um, they hit walls. So if there's, yes, in some situations, I can agree. There's a will, there's a way. But in some situations, you are just hitting a wall and their will is is in your way. Yeah, there you go. Wow, that's beautiful. That's a beautiful way to say it because that's, that's definitely true. It's not, you know, the Bible doesn't teach that everything is just your individual, you know, everything. Mm-hmm. There's other, because there's other individuals mm-hmm. that influence your life. Mm-hmm. And so it's not just like everybody has, you know, just, just gird your loins, get tough and, you know, go at it. That's not, no. that's not even biblically sound. And some people see things like that, but it's not because there's other people, like you said, like their will is in your way. So yeah. it's, I mean, I can think of, I mean, job loss. Mm-hmm. Right? That's a huge blow. You know, obviously it's an economic blow for somebody, for their family, for their overall, you know, self-worth, self-image, self-esteem, all that. But let's say you work somewhere and you have your leadership in your job and they mismanage things and they, you know, they crash the plane, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Like their irresponsibility had a direct detrimental effect, effect on, you, on yeah. you. So like, it's something that, it, like I said, systemic things like that's all real. That, yeah. in, that you know, there's all these things that we are not isolated, like how you mentioned before. Like there's, you know, your error can affect my family. Exactly. And I see that all the time. I have, you know, I deal with some clients who are in the welfare system and welfare is a mess right now. I mean, it's never been the greatest, but it's a mess right now. And to get in contact with anybody, I had a client who's been for months trying to get in contact with the welfare office. They're on hold and then it hangs up on them. Yeah. yeah. So is it because they're not trying hard enough? Right. It's not. It's it's just there's not, you know. What can we do in this situation, you know? Yeah, it's, it's, it's bigger than individual yeah. toughness, you know, yeah. stuff like that. I, I got a bonus one for you. Oh, gosh. Right. Just, I know I said three. I got a bonus one for you. This is the last one. This is the little bonus one. I am my own worst enemy. I agree. Only because I think we can limit ourselves in certain situations. Um, and like... I know I am my own worst enemy. So like that statement (laughs) (laughs) makes total sense to me. Yes. Yes. That's me. A hundred percent. Cause I even like, I I was, I I remember like last week or something, I was talking to Harold's, we had finished soundcheck and we got off stage and he was like, you know, 
I hope you're feeling comfortable with the songs. And I'm like, I'm I, 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 sorry if I don't appear like I'm trying anything or doing anything different or testing things out. I was like, because if I mess up, it's going to be in my head. And then I'm not I'm not going to do anything on stage and I might limit the spirit. Mm. And I don't want to do that because of mm. myself. <laughs> I see. So sometimes I don't give myself the opportunity to get in my own head. And that's, you know, right or wrong practice wise, you know, we can get into that. But mm-hmm. I, I just know for myself, if I feel the spirit leading something, but I remember in the back of my head what happened during sound check when I hit the wrong notes or I messed up that run, mm. I'm not going to do it because. Oh, yeah. I don't want to do that again. Right. So, yes, I do agree that situ- with that statement a hundred percent. How can we pray for you? Um, ooh. well, I guess just, you know, like I said, I feel like my job can be very spiritual and there's a lot of battles going on. And sometimes I guess, you know, being somebody who wants to help people, I, I bring on their weight to myself sometimes. And I, you know, I've, I've tried my best lately, you know, with prayer and stuff like that to really just try to make sure that I'm not taking on what I don't need to take on. Um, and just, you know, protecting myself as best as I can spiritually. So any prayers to that would always be appreciated. You have them. My sister, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your honesty. Thank you so much for your willingness to talk about what is a big topic? It is a big topic. And it's a topic that has to be spoken of in church, in a spiritual sense, in Christ and all that. So thank you so much for your expertise and your experience. Thank you so much, my sister. No, thank you, guys. God bless you. Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth is a Christian community whose mission is to love God, make disciples and change the world. You can learn all about us by visiting cfofelizabeth.com. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, as well as at various times throughout the week. You can also join us live online every week by visiting cfofelizabeth.live. We hope you enjoyed this week's story. Make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher so you never miss an episode. See you next time.